This sermon was preached at Sure Foundation Lutheran Church located in Brandon, South Dakota on September 13th, 2020 on the basis of Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 28. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A reading for this morning taken from Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will, receive, he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, Some of you standing here will not taste death before they see the coming of the Son of Man into his kingdom. This is God's word. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to picture this scene. Standing on a wide open plain are two armies. This is a big field. And these armies are facing each other as the the tension is building and they look at each other from across this field. Both sides are armed with shields and swords and arrows and spears. This isn't a fight of modern warfare, but this is one of those old school battles that you see in movies. Just before the the tension is about to boil over and the armies attack each other in the, the middle of the field, one of the commanders steps up to give his inspirational speech. Now this is a critical moment in this battle. The soldiers are physically prepared, but they need to be inspired and mentally prepared to enter battle. If you're the commander, there are a lot of different ways that this speech could go. (laughs) He could talk about a lot of different things. He could talk about all of the training they put in. They put in hours and hours of time to train for this battle. They were well prepared and he he could hit on how they were way more prepared than their enemies were. He, he could talk about the talent or the skill of his army and how they are so much stronger than the, the enemy that they are facing. There are a lot of different directions that, that this speech could go, and it would be successful. But kind of on the other side, there'd be a humorous discussion to talk about the ways that this speech could go that would accomplish the opposite. <laughs> Let me give you one example. 
One of the things that the commander could say that that would inspire not confidence, but defeat or sadness would be him standing up and saying, I am going to die a humiliating death. <laughs> That's the last thing that the army needs to hear before they're going into battle. That doesn't inspire confidence and strength. It inspires sadness and defeat. It sounds silly to even bring this up, and it's, it's somewhat humorous, but this is essentially the speech that Jesus is giving to the disciples before he enters battle. Jesus is nearing the time of his sacrifice, and he wants his disciples to be aware. And so he tells his disciples... That the time is close when he must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer at the hands of the Jewish leaders. He must die and be raised from the dead. Now, the disciples have been with Jesus for nearly three years now, and they were with him for most of those three years. There were, were seldom a moment when he was apart from the disciples. And they were all in. They were all in for his mission to conquer evil. They had seen Jesus do just that. He had command over disease, demons, and disasters. They'd seen it with their own eyes. Yet when Jesus brought up the idea of suffering and dying, you can almost feel the disciples' disgust through the page. You can hear Peter's disgust. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now, Peter's just looking out for Jesus, right? The last thing he wants is for Jesus, his leader and his friend, is to die. He doesn't even want to entertain the thought of Jesus dying. And frankly, brothers and sisters, we don't want to entertain that thought either. But it's not because we are altruistic and we want to save Jesus. No, it's because the cross to us is scandalous. Now, maybe you've never heard the cross described as scandalous before, but the Apostle Paul says as much. He says it's a scandal or a stumbling block for the Jews. And foolishness for the Gentiles. The disgust that Peter shows at the cross resides in us too. We are repulsed by the cross because the cross confronts our pride. Allow me to illustrate using a a stereotype. But in order to for this to work, I need you to remember a time before GPS and smartphones. For some of you, I know that this will be hard since you probably weren't alive at that time, but you can imagine. If you were going to go on a trip, you'd have to pull out a paper map. And on this paper map, you would have to decide where you were going. And you'd have to chart your course. You'd maybe have to trace on the map your your route. Maybe you'd trace with your finger and then on a separate sheet of paper, you'd write down the directions. And then you'd load up and go. It wasn't so so hard if you knew how to read a map, uh, but it didn't always go so smoothly once you got on the road, did it? Inevitably, you'd miss a turn, or you'd turn too early, or, or there'd be construction on your way too, and, and you'd be lost. And still, that, that really wasn't that big of a deal either, unless it happened to be a man that was driving that car. <laughs> That's the stereotype, Right? Uh, Because men hate asking for directions. I'm not sure if that's true of the men sitting here or the men listening on our podcast, but that's the stereotype anyways. Now, Now, the question behind the stereotype is the real thing that we're after this morning. Why are men so reluctant to ask for directions? Well, simple, because it's a shot to the ego, isn't it? 
By pulling the car into the gas station and getting out in front of your entire family and then walking in that gas station to the clerk and asking for directions, you are admitting defeat. You are admitting that you don't know how to get where you want to be. You are admitting that you couldn't do it. Now that's, that's all humorous to talk about, but in a far more serious way. That's exactly what you see every time you look at the cross. You couldn't do it. You couldn't save yourself. And brothers and sisters, there's a part of you that despises that. Do you need proof? Well, we show the desire to do it ourselves when we rationalize sin. We spend a lot of time rationalizing sin. and We all do it whether we actually know we're doing it or not. We try to convince ourselves that our sin is just a small sin. It was a mistake. It was a slip up. It was the circumstances that caused me to sin. We think about how it could have been worse. We could have done something far worse. We could have done what that person did and start comparing ourselves to others. We start to rationalize sin by spitting on God's grace and saying, ah, we'll sin because Jesus will forgive it anyways. We constantly rationalize sin, and we're good at it, too. And when we try to rationalize sin, what we're doing is we're trying to minimize sin. And the thought is, if I can minimize sin to be small enough, either I can get rid of it by sweeping it under the rug, or I can do something about it myself. I can do enough good to make up for it. That's the kind of thinking, anyways. Yet, yet, even when we rationalize sin, even when we minimize sin, the cross still confronts us. Because every time we think that we have rationalized sin away, the cross is there to remind us that sin is serious. That sin put Jesus there. That sin deserves punishment. No matter how small we think that sin might be, it deserves the punishment of death that put Jesus on the cross. Jesus responds to Peter's rebuke and he says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, Jesus is not saying that Peter is Satan here, but he's suggesting that what Peter is saying comes from Satan. Because if Satan had his way, Jesus would never go to the cross. In fact, that's the last thing that Satan wants because Satan knows exactly what will happen when Jesus completes his work. Brothers and sisters, in a similar way, the last thing that Satan wants for you is for you to come to terms with the depths of your sinfulness. He would love nothing more than for you to go on believing that you are a good person whose sin is small or or no big deal. Satan knows that he is in trouble. (laughs) If you see the depth of your sinfulness and you realize that you can do nothing about it yourself, because you'll start to look outside of yourself for a solution. And you're all sitting here today because you know the solution. Or you're seeking that solution. The solution, brothers and sisters, is Jesus. What our sinful nature hates about the cross, our renewed heart deeply cherishes. Uh, Our our sinful nature is confronted 
by the cross and our pride is confronted by the cross. But the cross also speaks to our renewed heart and tells us that we are forgiven and that he has done it all for us on our behalf and by grace has given us what he has won on the cross. Our sinful nature wants to do it ourselves, but our renewed heart knows that we can't, that we can't do it ourselves. Our sinful nature really wants to minimize sin, but our renewed heart knows that sin is a big deal because we see what it did to Jesus on the cross. And so rather than running from the cross because it confronts us, we run to the cross because through the cross we are saved. Through the cross we are forgiven. Through the cross we have crossed from death to life. We have a big sin, right? But we have a bigger Savior. Jesus isn't quite done speaking yet. The cross was not only necessary for him to carry, and he made that incredibly obvious when he said that he must go to Jerusalem, he must suffer, he must die and be raised to life again. But it is also necessary, this cross is also necessary for you to carry. And maybe it's important for us to state the obvious first. The cross that you carry in this life is not for the sins of the whole world. Your cross is not the exact same as Jesus's, but you will carry a cross if you want to be Jesus' disciple. That's what he says. And so the first question to answer is, what in the world is this cross? Well, Jesus tells us. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The nature of the cross is one of self-denial. Which is kind of a broad term, and it takes a lot of different applications in your life. There's a lot of different avenues and arenas of your life in which you might apply this, and it's different for each one of you. And so, rather than giving you one really specific example, I'm going to give you three very specific, very general uh, examples that you could take and apply to your life. It's going to be three ways to deny yourself, and we're going to use some scripture to do it too. Okay, number one, in in no particular order here. Denying yourself means considering others before yourself. Jesus showed this throughout his ministry. In fact, he he declared that this was part of the law, to love your neighbor as yourself. And he showed it in his actions too, by washing his disciples' feet and many other things that he did. And he said it through the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 verse 3. He said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He's talking about motivation here. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Number two, it it, it means denying your sinful desires. There's a battle raging inside of us between our sinful nature and our renewed mind, our our new heart. There's a battle raging inside of us, but part of carrying your cross as a Christian is saying no to ungodliness and saying yes to God. He says this through Paul in Titus chapter 2, verse 12. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And finally, this one maybe seems a little disconnected to you, but it has direct connection to what we're talking about. Number three way of self-denying, it means recognizing that life with Jesus is true life. 
that life is not found in happiness or pleasure or success or wealth. But true life is found with Jesus. Because true life with Jesus starts in this life and goes on to the next, into eternal life. Jesus said this in John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Those are three very broad, very general ways that we deny ourselves that you can have specific application of in your your life. Now, this section is, is interesting too because there's some symmetry in our thinking here. We talked about earlier how we are repulsed by Jesus' cross because it confronts our pride. Well, here's the balance of this section, the symmetry, you might say. We are repulsed by our own cross. We don't like our own cross too much because it suppresses our pride. This thought of denying myself, this thought of considering others before myself or denying my sinful desires or or living for the next life and not this one, this suppresses my pride because I I have to say no to myself and yes to others, no to myself and, and yes to God. No to this life and yes to the next. I'm not sure if you've had thoughts like this before. I think they're fairly normal for Christians to have. It's kind of the thought that if I wasn't a Christian, then I could, dot, dot, dot. Or if I wasn't a Christian, then I'd be able to, dot, dot, dot. It's the thought that my beliefs stand between me and earthly success and wealth and happiness. And frankly and honestly, maybe they do. Maybe you could achieve something great in worldly terms by disregarding God and his word. Maybe you could gain earthly prominence by saying yes to yourself and no to God and no to others. But recognize that these are thoughts of your sinful nature. Jesus' words still ring true. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Nothing in this world is worth the price of your soul. Your soul is so valuable, which is so obvious. And you know where we see it? That's right. You're seeing the theme. When we look at the cross of Christ, he was willing to do that for your soul. Should we think so little of our soul? that we would trade it for anything earthly? Your Christian encouragement this morning is this. Value your soul like Jesus values your soul. Let your soul rest in the comfort of Jesus' cross and in the comfort of Jesus' crown. Your cross may not be identical to Jesus's, but your cross does mirror Jesus's. Jesus first suffered the cross But then he received the crown of glory. Your life follows the same pattern. First the cross, then the crown. You will carry a cross here in this life. And what that cross looks like is going to be different for every single one of you. It is personalized. But whatever that cross may be, it is tiny in comparison to the crown that you have waiting for you in heaven. Friends, so many things happen at the cross. So many things converge at the cross. The seriousness of sin is revealed. 
The love of your Savior is displayed, and the salvation of your soul was won. When you see the cross, see your big sin, but see your bigger Savior. When you see the cross, see the strength that you need to carry your own cross in this life until one day you receive the crown of glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, at the cross, many things converged. Your justice and your love, your wrath and your mercy, the seriousness of our sin and the compassion of our Savior. Remind us constantly of these things when we see the cross. Let your cross give to us the strength we need to bear our crosses in our lives. Lord, when our journey is over and our cross-bearing is complete, give us the crown that you have waiting for us in heaven. In your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen.